Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations with Z and Vindesh. And today we're continuing our discussion of the Kali Yug, and we are talking about senses. And Z, last time we had this discussion about this ominous time that we're in, about how the world is going to hell, but we ended on a positive note and discussed ways to step back, create our own life, do things independently of what's happening in the world, and we can actually survive and thrive. Now, the interesting thing as we talk about it isn't that we have the option of stepping back. I think it's good news that we have that option. What's more interesting, though, is why people are not doing it. In other words, how are we getting to this point in the first place? And we started talking about this. So the topic of senses came up. And the idea is we don't trust. Well, it's not even that we don't trust, but we're not using our senses, our ability to understand the world around us, what we see, what we taste, smell, feel. We're just completely out of touch with that. And because of that, we go down paths that make no sense. So when we're not using our senses, we end up uh, with nonsense. (laughs) So a bit of a pun, just amusing myself in our conversation. Uh, But we go down these paths because we're not internalizing what's actually happening around us. We lose the ability to link cause and effect. And as you, you and I were talking about this, there are examples of this all over the place. So you had mentioned the Department of Transportation, which has been running a study on traffic and has concluded that if you look at the highway system, we actually don't need any more capacity. The reason that we have so much traffic is people refuse to get out of the left lane. So common courtesy would say, if someone is behind you, get out of the left lane, let them pass. That speeds up the flow of traffic. But when you don't do that, you slow things down. You also irritate people. They try and overtake you. So there's a greater chance that you're going to have some accident, which is going to cause things to back up. We talked about things like fast food and going to McDonald's and how you can look at that movie. I forget the name of it, but the, the documentary movie, uh, someone made this and they went to McDonald's and they had McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a month. And by the end of that month, their doctor was begging with them to stop this McDonald's diet because they were close to death. They were literally poisoning themselves. But still we go and we eat the fast food and somehow we don't really see the connection between that and being overweight or being depressed or the mood swings that we undergo. And as I started thinking about it, we see this all over the place. I mean, the examples abound. I think back to college and when people get to college, at least in this country, they go crazy and every night they're out, they're drinking as much as they can until they black out. They wake up, they feel terrible, they can hardly function they're gaining weight, they're foggy, their mind is shutting down, (laughs) and they're talking about, wow, man, what what a great weekend I had poisoning myself. Wow, wasn't that fantastic? I can't even remember a fucking thing that happened, but it must have been fantastic. I can't wait to go out and do it again. So there's just all of these crazy things. I'll give one more example. If you look at anxiety, people are stressed out left and right, but then you look at the behavior that supports that. We're constantly comparing ourselves to others, We're checking our phones every five minutes. We have no attention span because we're looking at multiple devices at the same time. All of this promotes anxiety. It takes us away from a still place, and it destroys our health. So you put all of this behavior together, and it's incredible because these are things that we should be aware of. If you just step back and looked at the immediate effect of your actions, what does that do to your mind? What does that do to your body? If you're in California and there are raging fires, should you go outside and breathe? Maybe that's not the most healthy thing to do. Maybe you want to stay indoors. But there is something about us that is overriding the gross data we're getting from our senses so that we're making bad decisions. Our body has a certain intelligence. It's pushing us in one path. But we're saying, you know what? We're going to completely ignore that. We're going to do our own thing. Maybe it's because that's what everyone else is doing. Maybe it's because we're following the crowd. Uh, or we feel like we're in this state of panic and we don't know what else to do. Maybe it's just habit and we've done it for such a long time that we don't know how to do anything else. And the not thinking has also become a habit, so we don't even know how to step back 
and assess what's really happening in the world. And perhaps this is the most dangerous aspect of the Kali Yug. I think about that movie, what the hell is the name of that movie? This Kevin Spacey movie with uh, Kaiser Soze. I'm forgetting the name right now. But anyway, they talk about how the devil's greatest trick was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And perhaps that is the worst part of the Kali Yug. We're in this Kali Yug, but because we're so far down this path, we've lost the ability to see, to hear, to feel. And we don't even know how dire the conditions are. We just keep on going on about our life while the house is on fire and everything is burning down. So Z, if we want to navigate this time, we need to be able to accurately assess our environment and make intelligent decisions Maybe we can start with your perspective on how we even get here. I mean, why is it that we've lost the ability to pay attention to our senses, to take in the data that's going on around us? And why are we in a place where the intellect is overriding more of the natural responses that we should have as human beings? Well, Van, a lot of it is the, the, the downward slope right now we're on a downward trajectory of human evolution so the people that keep up with this see us as human go up the ladder this kind of spiral staircase into uh, evolving we're not doing that right now we're kind of devolving going sliding back a little bit and um, there will be then a, a, a point where it, it, it reaches a high level of, of congestion and a few people will start to evolve again and we are one of the only species I know of that can actually deter our own evolution. We can go golfing in a lightning storm. We can choose to overeat. We can see that the air is unbreathable and decide to go outside anyway when animals and birds, everything is fleeing and we'll just hang out. Um, every day in popular media, you hear about very, um, very bizarre behavior that is very common now. And so when you talk about that, it, again, it comes from the externalizing of the self, not the internalizing of the self. The lack of the ability to be the dispassionate observer, to, to be the witness, as opposed to be a participant in the bizarreness in the theater of the damned. So you want to not be in that theater. You, want to be a, you don't want to be an actor. You simply want to kind of observe what's going on and say, well, this isn't cool. Let me pull myself out. But it's hard to do because you've been playing this role for so long in order to have union or communion with groups of people that define our tribe or our society. You know, there's a lot of mal-narratives and false narratives out there that we know better, but yet we cling to them and hold on to them because it gives us some even more vague and false sense of being a part of something, some sort of herd or tribe or whatever. And when you work on being more internal, more enlightened, there isn't there's no satisfaction in simply being one in the herd. If you choose to be in the herd, it is because you, with all your senses intact, decided to be where you're at. Thus, you have responsibilities, duties to yourself, those around you, and you can also pull out anytime you want. But we've, we, we're not really in, in larger groups doing that. There are some people who are truly opt-outs, they're truly dispassionate observers, there are really few people out there with Buddha consciousness that think, that are able to think, and in order to think, you're taking information from all of your senses, from your olfactory, your, your ability to, to smell, your olfactory, your ability to hear, your visual cortex, your textual cortex, all your senses are giving you a real-time feed of the world around you so that you can make decisions that promote life. It's that simple. So when you have these situations where the senses are dulled or so corrupted that you are not only guided by whims and phantoms, you're, you are not going to be that healthy. So you pointed out a few cases, and historically we have cases, we have cases where there's the Titanic is sinking. And people are dancing and running around asking people what's going on. The band is playing and people run around, well, what's going on? 
Well, I, I don't need you to tell me what's going on. The ship is tilted over uh, damn near 90 degrees. Water has filled every floor, and I'm standing on a pontoon barely inches away from a polar bear. You, I don't need to talk to other people at that time. We look at other things, our health declining, sitting in groups of people with your belly hanging over your skinny jeans, discussing whether it's a paleo diet or rather you know, intermittent fasting is good. No, you're on the Titanic, people. Can you feel the water? Do your senses tell you that the boat is leaning over too far? Is the wind, in the, is the wind too brisk? The, you have to listen to your senses. But when they're dulled, you can't. And when everyone around you's senses are dull, you can't listen to your senses. So as it's said in the ancient text, we live in a time where basically it's the, the deaf, the dumb, and the blind leading each other around hell. So we want to open our eyes, open our ears, communicate, shine a light on the situation, and address it in the moment accordingly. That's the most sustainable thing to do. So you ask, how did we get here? Well, it's, it's a steady march off the abyss. For one, herd mentality will never lead a human being to a good place. If we were supposed to be into herd mentality or tribe mentality, we would have never been given free will. We would never have adapted that brain function of free will. Free will is about cultivating the Buddha consciousness, discernment, thinking for yourself, developing higher levels of intelligence, exploring, researching, taking the data of that research, coming to uh, hypotheses on that, and then acting upon what you've discovered, and then leaving that open for constant and, and vigilant analysis, self-analysis. So when we're doing that, we tend to be in a healthier, better place. When we don't do that, we have a fixed outcome to our general well-being. So that, I hope that gets us in a place where we answer that question, but you can look around and see the journey that we've taken. I was telling you early, earlier about an old cowboy movie, and they had a town called Badwater. And you go to the town of Badwater, and there's a, there's a the local lake or, or, or pond or whatever, surrounded by skeletons of animals and humans with buzzards flying ahead overhead. And every person that comes to Badwater is thirsty. And the bar serves whiskey and ginger ale or whatever. They said, how come I just want to go get some water? Well, you look around, you lose your senses, you see that everything around that pond of water is dead. You see that the town is called Badwater. Just accept that you won't be able to get a drink there and live. So you need to move on. So I use that as an analogy of where we're at now. What is happening right now is not holistic. It is not sustainable. What do I mean by what's happening now? So we have the, the pandemic and the pandemic behavior. We have the raging fires on the West Coast that makes the air unbreathable and blocks out the sun. We have a political climate that is the lowest It is the lowest level we have known in recorded times of keeping up this. In modern history, these are the worst of times politically and socially. So you think about how we got there, where we're at, and how do we get the hell out of there? How do we get out of bad water? We know we don't get out of it by investing in it, our energy, our time, so forth. We are now in the moment where, where as an individual... As a person with a life practice, we will work on building the arcs of intelligence, the social arcs of consciousness, and the um, familiar arcs of managing our resources down, focusing more closer to home, and home, of course, is where the heart is, nurturing healthy relationships. I talk about that all the time, and really checking our behavior. How can I diminish the toxic imprint I have on others around me. 
And a lot of times it's not so much what you're doing, it's what you're not doing. Um, and so you don't want to invest in more of that. You want to withdraw yourself from toxic situations. So mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, just divest yourself. And so you'll find yourself alone. And as someone said, oh, I'll be bored. But you know what? A sign of basically good intelligence is you never get bored. An intelligent person can always harness harness the, the, the movement of the mind in a way where they can find things to work on, things about that, that, that give them satisfaction. Some of the religions say that an idle mind is the devil's workshop. I would go further to say that a person's inability to govern their own mind will lead them to be governed by the lower forces. It will block the senses. It will corrupt the mind. So we work on our mind, work on clarity. So when you see situations that are untenable, unhealthy, don't go to bad one. Don't go sit there. Don't, don't drive closer to it. Simply pull away. When you see long lines that will inevitably lead to rudeness, madness, chaos, selfishness, just do you really need to be in that line at that time of day? Whatever that line is. So I'm, I'm saying there are things we can do to reawaken our senses. There are physical things you can do. Everyone now, especially on the West Coast, the air in this way, should use a neti pot. Put a little saline in a neti pot, breathe it in, breathe it out, flush the dirt out of your senses. There are vitamins called lutins you can take that help with the blood vessels to the eyes to help flush out a lot of the toxins in the eyes and so forth and improve the vision. We can do more supplementation, uh, intermittent fasting. I'm going to be starting that myself just to detox from the stress of daily life. You can, if you cannot afford a home water system, you can get a small purifier that makes sure that the water that you're putting in your body is not overlaid with cadmium and toxins that have been floating through the air from the fire. In addition to that, you know, the, the, the bad municipalities. So then your taste buds come back. There's a lot of people, they tell me, I get clients say, I, I can't taste food anymore. Well, you've been eating these things that are genetically modified, are grossly overladen with uh, chemicals that taste like food, right? Because they've engineered certain seasonings you can put on things that make it taste fresh. Years ago, they had something called... Um, uh, meat tenderizer that they would sprinkle on foods. Well, you don't see a lot of that on the market anymore because they were sued. But if you think about the mentality, I remember as a young child being at a friend's house and they, they were putting meat tenderizer on the food. And luckily we're vegetarians, but I was just watching it. You know, like kids like to watch gross stuff. So they're putting meat tenderizer on the food. And I asked my friend's dad, I said, sir, if it tenderizes that meat, what would it do to your insides? He said, kid, you're pretty smart. I never thought about that. I told his wife, baby, throw that shit out. Well, think about it. If you can sprinkle this on bovine flesh and it makes it spongy, what would it do to you? But at that moment, as a child, it just made sense to me that I tied it together. But for that grown man, he was blinded in many ways, as the scripture said, blind, deaf, and dumb. It's telling you right there on the bottle, it is meat tenderizer. Well, we're meat. Humans are meat. So <clears throat> I, I say this because we individually, what we can do individually, not collectively, is do work to cultivate our senses. What you see with your eyes is not what's in front of you. The visual cortex runs way into the brain and we process information through all the other senses. So whatever you see is based on all the life experiences you've had and the play of the intellect 
on putting those situations together, tapping into the library of the brain and accessing old information. Again, as we said before, that's why no two people see things the same way. That's why everybody sees beauty in a different way. That's what the IT companies try to play with is it tries to adjust your senses so that you see what they want you to see so you will be an habitual and addicted and long-term consumer of whatever the hell they sell. So they're playing with your vision. Then you have taste buds that you can't taste. So you'll eat food you normally wouldn't eat and large amounts of it. Your nose can't smell. So when there are vile odors around you, <clears throat> or when you feel sick and unhealthy and weird smells are coming off your body, <clears throat> you don't even know. The senses are dull. So you tend to need more and more sensory input to feel alive. So you have all sorts of things out there, people doing bizarre things uh, to feel alive, jumping off of buildings and, and random acts of abusing themselves. And then we watch it, we're entertained by it. Um, because they don't feel alive. And you'll hear people say, I just want to feel alive. I want, I want to get so drunk that I almost die. And then right at that moment of almost dying, I feel alive. Right? You have all sorts of examples of this. So for those who opt out, who are dispassionate observers, who really revere life, and you, you sit with the people that you adore and admire, you say, I got everything. I have, I've won the heavenly lottery. I just want to nurture, cultivate, and make this sustainable. Then you have to do a sensory reboot, a re-cleanse of your senses. So when you hear things you really hear, you don't corrupt what you hear with what you want to see or what you think it should be. You really want to feel. So you know that a like on the internet <clears throat> or a friend request isn't real. There's no feeling associated with it. You will know that the people that you value or fond of or care for would, do, would benefit greatly from your presence in whatever way that is. Use the technology and actually hear their voice so that the oral cortex of the brain conjures up that person, uh, that, that, that avatar of that person in your heart that brings you a little closer to them. Let them hear your voice. Let them see your face and when you can, spend time with them so they can touch you, smell you, know you, and create a whole picture of you. And those are real relationships. Those are real friendships. And those connections make you a healthy person. They are the medicine of a depleted soul. So when you do that, you'll find yourself in a better place. But, but again, <clears throat> very important to avoid this kind of deprived sense living because you're disconnected, disassociated, and that's what we're working on. So Z, it's interesting what you're saying that we've lost our ability to use the senses, or I think the way you're putting it is that our senses are dulled. And part of this is our environment so it's the foods that we're eating, it's the air that we're breathing, whatever chemicals we're ingesting is dulling our senses and our ability to internalize the world. Part of it has got to be habit as well. And uh, things like our attention is going in a hundred million different directions. Uh, so we can't maintain any, any stillness. Uh, the mind is always racing from one thing to the next, uh, from Instagram to Facebook, to whatever's coming on YouTube or whatever else we're watching. So that has a cost, and that prevents focus and an ability to just take in information in a sustained way. So that happens on the one hand, but on the other hand, we talked about the override. So when I'm hearing you talk, there are two aspects to this. One is the senses themselves and how strong the input is. But the other is the override switch that we have, which is the intellect. So even if the senses are coming in properly, we've still got the intellect, which could be spinning stories. It could be feeling entitled, like, God damn it, I don't care whether I'm causing a traffic jam. I'm not going to get out of the left lane. It could be self-absorbed, uh, where we've got all of this drama going on continuously, 
And because of that, we're just not paying attention to anything else. It could be the herd behavior and our tendency to just follow the crowd. I think a lot about the narratives that we talk about. So you look at mass consumerism, you look at this constant search that people have for some sort of stimulus or some kind of excitement to give their life meaning. And I think the stronger that these false narratives become, the more difficult it becomes to pay attention to the senses. So on the one hand, the senses are weakening. We're dulling them because we're not using them and because of environmental influences. On the other hand, we're consciously overriding them. Uh, So it's kind of like a double whammy. And all of the ideas that we have about life, uh, that for me to feel good, I just need a lot of more, I need a lot more stuff. I need to live this perfect life. I need uh, to be impressive or have a lot of friends on Facebook or whatever the hell it is. We get these ideas in our mind. And I think that's where the ego steps in. Uh, We've talked about this before as well, that the most tragic thing I think about our existence now is we've bought anew a lie about what constitutes happiness. And our sense for what constitutes happiness is the sense of more, uh, that we just need more stuff, we need more money, we need more validation. We need anything except what we have. And it guarantees that we're not going to be content by definition. Uh, So we stop paying attention to the senses because the senses might tell us that we're full or we're safe. We don't need more money. We don't need more food. But we have this narrative playing in our mind, which is saying, don't pay any attention to that. I'm giving you the real deal. I'm telling you, if you want to be okay, you have to run faster. You have to try harder. You have to keep on doing more, making more, being more, getting away from whatever you're doing at this present moment. And the tragic thing about that is that the harder we try, the worse we feel. Because the more we're running away from the present, the less we're experiencing life, the more insecure we're feeling, uh, the more we're getting away from that basic sense of contentment, which I think underlies happiness, or at least the way that we think about happiness, just being okay with whatever the situation is, with life's ups and downs. And I think it can turn into a downward spiral, uh, because we end up feeling desperate, So you start chasing all of these things external to yourself. It doesn't bring fulfillment. It just makes you more anxious, more greedy, and you end up feeling worse and worse. Then you start taking medication. Then you're not sleeping well. Then your senses are further dulled, so you're still not experiencing life, and you're getting more depressed, and you get into this downward spiral. But because we've been conditioned to such an extent, we don't know how to do anything different, and our strategy is always double down. Just do more of the same shit that hasn't worked. So even though it's a failed strategy, that narrative is so strong and we buy into it so completely that we keep on racing along that path faster and faster and eventually it just ends in a complete breakdown. Uh, So maybe the ones who get to the point of rock bottom are fortunate because at least that's a wake-up call and they can start to step back and question choices and narratives and maybe pay more attention to the senses and then start to rebuild and reverse that cycle. Because once we can correct those narratives, we pay more attention to external inputs. We can rebuild our senses. Once we rebuild the senses, we're in a stronger position to ignore the narratives. And we can scratch our way back to the surface and create a more more intelligent life. But Z, talk about that for a second, this second aspect, which I'm going to refer to as the intellect overriding the senses What can we do about that? I mean, we talked a bit about how to stop dulling the senses. What can we do in terms of correcting some of these false narratives? Well, again, uh, I'm going to share a few things with you. One is, real quick, intelligence. An intelligent person, according to the classical text, is one who can discern and discriminate. One who can weigh weigh objects, weigh circumstances, and make good decisions. One who can discern or discriminate. That's what Buddha means, one who is intelligent. So again, we want to cultivate our intelligence and know all the obstacles in front of intelligence. And there there are different layers of intelligence. So we have more the visceral organic intelligence, we have social intelligence, we have um, basic linear intelligence, which we often value as IQ. And uh, you remember that people with very high IQs often work for people with very low IQs, but high 
emotional quotients of intelligence. They understand how to manipulate people. Now, with that being said, cultivate intelligence. Study, read, meditate, these kinds of things. Also reflect upon the lessons of the great philosophies. We talk a lot about Vedic philosophy and the yogic sciences. During the Mahabharata, when both sides were, were having heavy losses in the battle, they each conscripted a, a mercenary army called the Sense Mind Army. And the Sense Mind Army was very sophisticated in its way that it attacked the senses of the combatants. So they had a division of the Sense Mind ar Army that affected what you see. So they had people disguise themselves as the loved ones of those they were, they, they, they were in battle with so that the people would think that they were, uh, their loved ones were brought to the battle arena and they had to protect them, so they tricked them in that. They had other people who would dupe them into thinking that the voices they heard, again, were the voices of trusted people and loved ones, but they were actually their enemies. They had others who made concoctions to smell like the most delicious meal, but it was actually poison. They had others who affected the sense of touch and, touch and texture, and they made uh, beds covered with feathers and, and velvet that underneath was a bear trap device. So the sense mind army was used to corrupt the senses in order to win the battle or to create great casualties on the, other, on the sides of their combatants. So if we apply what we're thinking about today, all the illusions of the senses that we are being subjected to that is completely the opposite of what we want. We want abundant, healthy, loving lives. But these things are starting to look like what you want, but they're not what you want. This endless consumerism, this endless pursuit of more, comparing yourselves to others, looking for friendships through validation and words, but not deeds and actions. All these sorts of things, you can go on and on and on. Think about the sense mind army how it would attack your senses and you. The other thing too is acknowledging the moment. Always acknowledge the moment. We're in a world that though things are normal, that doesn't mean it's okay. People are rewarded now not because they have done anything for humanity, simply because they are heard of, they've accumulated through whatever means a certain amount of material wealth or the illusion of wealth the simple illusion of wealth makes people not use their senses anymore. There are guys that rent sports cars and rent out houses to look wealthy. And because people believe them to be wealthy, they associate with themselves, those people, and squander their own wealth with them. Thus, they make this dullard wealthy and lose their own wealth for the desire to be near wealth. And so this is the world we live in. There's nothing we could do about the moment. There's no uh, time is a relentless taskmaster, and the time God of time is unforgiving. But you have the ability to open your eyes and cultivate your consciousness. So you can see this is a scam. This is a sham. Every Monday I get the opportunity, uh, when I have time allows, to be in the company of a lot of the old masters that I grew up with and people who became masters, some older, some younger than me. And they're all wondering, you know, how to weather these times. Because people are not rewarded because they sacrificed, because they were devoted, because they developed extraordinary skills, because they gave freely of their heart and soul to something and they showed a noble commitment and loyalty to their teachers. No one's rewarded for that anymore. So these people are basically obsolete. So they're figuring out how to connect to the new way of doing commerce. And so they have this term branding now. That's a big term, branding, branding. Why? Because the package a thing comes in is more important than what's in the package. That's how bizarre it is. So a, a highly decorated potato bag is worth more than the potatoes in it. People will buy the empty bag with no potatoes. It even says on the side of the bag, sold by weight, not volume. What does that mean? So they'll, most of the bag is empty. That's what it's telling you. 
You're buying this big bag of something and most of it is air, not product. So too, we live in this world. Our challenge is navigating it, accepting it, as you would accept a war zone or as you accept a minefield. And you're, 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 you're then your only aspiration is to how to get through this with the least amount of losses to yourself. And the way you get through it is just like a person working their way through a minefield. There are a few ways of going through it. You can build a device that just runs into the minefield and blows up, and you keep building these devices to get to the minefield. There's another way where you carefully walk slowly, tracking each step and showing a path through that is free of hazards, though it has its risk. So right now, we, we can move this way through these times. We have to be able to sort out the information we hear, listen better, look better, smell, taste, touch, and then say, okay, I, bre I believe it. Don't just go on a whim. Don't just let some influencer or a popular person or someone who is successful define the way you move through life because a lot of this is very, most of it is very illusionary. And remember, we don't live in a world anymore where skill, knowledge, faithfulness, loyalty, devotion and dedication are valued. They are no longer valued at this particular era. So for those of you who still have those ancient and classical values, you will find few numbers. Accept that. Your tribe will be very small and it will be nomadic. So you're going to have to go global. And that's where we're at right now. But that, I don't think that's so bad because during the pandemic, they're asking people to reduce your social imprint. Right? Social distance. What a better way of social distancing than staying away from bizarre and negative things in life. And you'll find yourself with fewer and fewer people around you because the vast majority of people are in the middle of the herd going mindlessly in those directions. And this is simply the times we live in. We look at the political moment of the day. It's horrible. In all my lifetime, the most polarizing, the most bizarre, the most heavily infringement upon even the lone idea of human rights. And people think it's okay. The herd is like, yeah, 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 it's okay. It's okay. History has told us this is a dangerous direction. Nobody reads. Nobody studies. Nobody picks up the scent. Nobody moves to the right to let the free traffic go by. So it's all connected. It's all connected. Yeah, I think, Z, that what you're saying is spot on, that we're at a time where we can only do so much. Expectations are low. Behavior around us is dysfunctional. And this was a lot of the message from our previous podcast on the Kali Yug, which is basically save yourself and not in a selfish way, not in a way where you have no compassion for anyone else, but just recognizing the reality of the times. And we're headed in a certain direction. People are moving in a herd. And the best thing we can do is to step back and live well ourselves and be that example for other people. That's probably a good way to serve others. If we're stronger, we can also fulfill our family obligations or work obligations much more effectively. So if we just take a moment and summarize the discussion, uh, we've talked about the corruption of the senses. We've basically lost connection, this visceral connection to our environment and the ability to discern what is good for us what promotes good health and what doesn't. Part of that is the dulling of the senses, and that comes from sprinkling meat tenderizer on everything and destroying our insides from the chemicals that we eat, from the company we keep, from the narratives that we absorb. And we've talked about a solution to this, which is thinking independently. So we have to be able to see the cause and effect, that there is some destructive effect of the behaviors that we're buying into, and even if they are habitual, even if everyone else is doing it, we need at least that glimmer of light that gives us enough awareness to step back and to start making better decisions. And that's when we can step back from the crowd, opt out of the madness. So I think we are at a pretty good place, Z. But what I want to do is get a little bit deeper into the solutions. So if we start thinking independently, that gives us the impetus to pull back, maybe evaluate who we spend time with, how we think about our priorities, maybe things, as you mentioned, like stilling the mind and cultivating the intellect. But take us beyond that. 
are there specific exercises that we can do to refuel the senses and restore that visceral connection that we've lost? I think you'd mentioned something earlier on about washing the senses. Give us some sense for exercises that we can go through to help restore that capability. And Vin, I want to clarify that these exercises, though they will benefit all, they're not for everybody. Before you do any of these exercises, you as an individual uh, would find it beneficial to define yourself as a dispassionate observer, as an opt-out. The dispassionate observer can withdraw themselves from their observation so they can be a, a clear, unbiased witness to the events of the moment. The opt-out is secure with them themselves to step away from whatever herd or tribe that, that we tend to be drawn to, to really look and make an open-minded, thoughtful, clear-headed, discriminating decision about where we want to be and the provisions of that. If anybody comes up and you say you're either in or you're out, you should immediately just get out. Anytime you're given a binary choice, because you're free. Also, when you do these exercises, what it's not so much that you're building just a body. You're creating a cosmic body. You become the cosmic SOS, right? The SOS beacon. Save our souls. So that means that you are simply a living example of salvation. First, of the individual self and then let that radiate out to others. So you can first do mind clearing, the meditations, the qigong, the breathing practices, the pranayama. Dedicate a few minutes or several minutes a day to first starting your day with a clear head. Having the mantra that I am an opt-out, I am the dispassionate observer, when you, when you listen to people, you cannot listen and talk at the same time. Let people say what they say. As they say, even a stop clock is right twice a day. So whatever dullard or fool you find yourself around, let them speak their piece. Listen to it, but also filter the noise of them. You don't want to really try to match intellect with someone of no intellect. It's a negative sum game. I think that's how you say it. So you work on clearing your ability to be receptive to information. Don't listen for what you want to hear. Don't, don't shut out what you don't want to hear. Just listen. Just listen. As you work on things in your own environment, clean your signs. You know a person, an individual can't smell their own house. They can't smell their own laundry because as things get familiar to it, the mind decides it's not it's not a new or interesting aroma, so I'm not going to let you smell that. So we walk around um, with these uh, foul odors around us, and not just physically foul odors, but mentally. Our mind no longer can distinguish what is polluted from what is good. So it's very important to get in the fresh air, to do your aromatherapies, do all these kinds of things that help reawaken that sense. Your taste buds the same way. Eating as much fresh, raw, alkaline water. Eating less so that your taste buds can clear up and the, uh, the probiotics and the thrush in the mouth can clear up a little bit so you know when you're sick and your breath starts to be bad and all that. When you're sick, you know what probiotics to take to kind of recorrect, make those small corrections. Your sense of touch working on fine motor skills. Have, a, have some sort of hobby, stamp collecting, uh, butterfly clay, I don't care what it is, that allows you to dwell in the moment and feel what you're doing. Maybe somebody's into knitting or sustainable gardening. Make something for handicrafts for a friend. People have hobbies who are of higher intelligence. A lot of people think they're smart, but they don't have hobbies. Actually, you're not that smart. You have a servant mentality. Your whole life is serving some other master. 
when you're truly intelligent, you have time out to yourself to nurture and cultivate your intelligence, which oftentimes translates into a hobby that brings you fulfillment and passion. So look for some sort of hobby, whatever it is, something that asks you to venture out of a comfort zone to develop a skill set, something you truly enjoy and you allow yourself to have that childlike reward that, hey, I just made a great paper plane. So much fun. I'm going to get on a paper plane community group and we're going to get together every other Sunday and do paper planes. Whatever the hell it is, I don't care. Um, because that hobby allows the mind to sort things out. Higher levels of intelligence, right? And you actually get to use your fine motor skills if you're in a tactile hobby, model making, whatever it is that allows you to feel the texture of things under your hands. Hold hands with your partner or comfort them in a way that isn't rushed. Sit there and hold your beloved or your dear friend, whoever it is, just hold them. Breathe them in. Feel the contours of their body. Listen for their heartbeat or their stomach gurgling. Feel the texture of their skin. Acknowledge their humanity and it amplifies your own. It's an exercise you can do. So we've covered the senses. Touch, taste, texture. What you see. Sometimes cultivate your vision. Not just reading a book, but look at nature. People watch. Don't be creepy about it. Just people watch. You learn a lot about people just by the way they move. You'll learn a lot about yourself by how you observe the way other people move. You'll notice the sheer number of people that though they walk around, they have no idea what, where they're going. They, they seem to be directionless. Or, or they, they, they're, they're, they're distracted. And you will learn a lot about that, but your senses will become reawakened. And then the world you see all of a sudden is different. Of course, the world is no different, but your perspective of it is enhanced. Thus, it appears new and different. And these exercises will bring you, first, you, you, like I said earlier, you turn yourself into the divine SOS, the Save Our Soul beacon. Be the example you want to be for the world. And then make sure that your tribal and herd affiliations are fluid and provisional. Then you no longer have to get swept up in dogma, you don't have binary choices, you're in or you're out, you're with us or you're not. You never want to be in that position. I'm with you as long as it's okay and it's productive and it's beneficial to all. I'm out of here when you guys want to go soak in a hot tub in bad water and drink the water. I'm gone. I'm done. Same way with your social and civic affiliations. Ideally, they're provisional and you're re-examining them on a regular basis so you don't end up in some sort of uh, mob violence or, or, or hanging or something like that. These are things you can do, especially in the era that we live in now. Keep your eyes open, study and look for different sources of information you normally don't look for. And have an awareness of the world around you. Learn how to get out of your own way so that you can be on the freeway of, of enlightenment as opposed to caught in the traffic jam on the highway to hell. Yeah, so it's interesting hearing you talk about this because what you're saying sounds so simple. A lot of what we've just talked about is experiencing life, and that's it. That's the only directive, and I guess it makes sense because if you want to engage your senses, then that's what you have to do. You have to experience the smells, the textures, the images, everything around you in that moment Instead of living in your head in a state where you're worried about what's going to happen, you're obsessing about what has happened, you're waiting for the next tweet or text or whatever the hell it is. So I like the things you said. Uh, just experience what's happening around you. People watch. Connect with nature. You talked about some amount of intimacy, uh, so being close to your beloved experiencing touch. I think that is very restorative. 
And beyond the senses, uh, beyond things like just tasting the food that you're eating, tasting and appreciating what you're drinking, we talked about cultivating intelligence. So cultivating hobbies, trying new things, immersing yourself in this rich experience of life. And you alluded to this, Z. I think that if we do this, it transforms the day-to-day. And I think this is really the trick. So going back to what we said earlier, we've been taught that what we are is not enough. There's this constant narrative that we need to be doing something else. We need to be someone else. We need more. And a lot of that probably comes from our consumer-oriented culture, where someone is always trying to sell us something. And in order for us to buy something, it has to be the case that what we have is inadequate. And so maybe that is a certain training ground that we have to ignore the senses and just follow blindly these impulses. But I think the real tragedy of that, as we talked about, is it it makes us worse off. And we never actually experience what life is. So it's almost like someone comes to us and says, your life isn't good enough. You've got to do X, Y, and Z. You've got to go out, make more money. Uh, You've got to travel the world. You've got to do some extreme sports. And then you'll feel better. And we say, okay, great, great. Uh, I'm all signed up. I'm ready to go down that path. But we don't know what we're missing because we've never experienced life itself. So we, we don't even have a baseline. And I think that that's probably the most tragic part of our society, uh, which is that we're in such a state of urgency and such a state of moving from one thing to the next that we never experience what is. And to your point, that's going to affect the senses. So by definition, we're not going to have a good understanding of what's happening around us, which is going to make it more difficult to navigate this world. But I think beyond that, there's a certain poetic loss. I mean, there's all of this beauty, all of this opportunity, all of this detail that we're just missing. And it's happening continuously around us each moment is a new beginning. We can treat it that way. We don't have to live in a state where we're chained to the past or our expectations of the future. We can find great freedom in whatever is happening now, great beauty, stillness, joy. I think at times that these are all synonyms for the same state of that full immersion, that full awareness that connects us to what's happening now. But we have to recognize that it exists, and we have to recognize that there is a baseline that we've never even experienced. So, so much of what we're talking about sounds really simple on the one hand. On the other hand, I feel that it's something very few people do. Very few people even recognize what they're missing, that there is a cost to this behavior. And being able to take ourselves and start to anchor ourselves in the present, activate the senses, not only gives us a better strategy for living, I think it unlocks a much more beautiful way of life. I mean, we just get much more out of the day-to-day. And instead of life being a grind and a routine and us focusing on the next vacation or the next dinner or getting away from our kids or whatever we don't feel like doing at the moment, we can appreciate the rhythm. And even if we don't love everything, I think there's a certain coherence when it all comes together. And it's just an experience that than many of us don't have. And that just strikes me as very sad. I don't have the answer. I'm just sharing from my experience what has been the most valuable thing. If, if, if I were to die today and, and as I'm watching this life dissolve, what would I have wanted to look back on or think about it? Just the beauty, just the beauty. And anything that interferes with that beauty, we should not nurture. And as we're talking today here, we're talking about the dulling of the senses. Your life is the collective of all your senses. All your senses. If those senses are dulled, your life is dulled. That is why we are inundated with overstimulation. Because they understood years ago in the study of the human condition that if we can overstimulate you, we can short-circuit your brain. Too much of this, too much of that. If we can give you, convince you to buy the double bit go or the triple extra or, or more, 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 that the Dow is up or whatever it is, you need more, more, more happy. The ring is bigger. There's more carrots. They're just over, just over stimulus. 
So once you're overstimulated, you're over-sensualized, then your senses no longer work anymore. It's like listening to loud music constantly. Eventually you can't hear soft sounds. And imagine if you were a parent who listened to loud music all the time. You know some of the most beautiful sounds is when you're sitting there quiet with your baby. The little noises that the kids make. My little one talks to me at night before he goes to bed and he just says a few things. Bye, bye, my name, his name, whatever. It just burns into my mind in the most beautiful way. You think about lovers together when things are going well between lovers. It's not all the noise anymore. All you want to hear are sweet things or just filthy, dirty things, as Caitlin says. She just knows it's going right when she hears fil filthy, dirty things or said in a nice tone of voice, kind of like a barking drill instructor or something. She like, but everybody has their own. So whatever it is. You know, those, those things are life. You know, let's, let, let's really look at what is life. I always say that to people because to mitigate human suffering, we have to mitigate the time away from living that we spend. So we have more time living, less time worrying about not living. We are headed into an unknown abyss with the collapse of the economy, the collapse of the healthcare system, the collapse of social sensibility. But what we can learn from that is that it's not real anyway. Some of these systems were put in place and they weren't sustainable anyway. But you are sustainable. You are the sum total of the people that love you, care about you, think about you and mention your name. Repurpose your senses to deal with that and we'll be okay. Do the exercises we talked about before. Go full effort into your personal life practice. Avoid all the falsehoods and distractions that overload your senses. And find that the most satisfying things are often the most mundane things. The things that nurture you the most often cost the least. The things that bring you the greatest contentment are often right near you, that rarely will you find yourself truly in need of a lot of things. You may want a lot, and you may think that you're going to need a lot in the future, be it food, money, partnerships, whatever. But what if you had everything you needed and you just couldn't see it? What if I told you you had everything you need, but you just can't feel it? You have everything you need, you just can't taste it, smell it, touch it because your senses are dull. So we want to realign our senses. We want to reinvigorate them so that we can enjoy this life and to be an example for others. Be the cosmic SOS beacon for the world. That's all you got to do. Z, I think that's a really good way to put it. And maybe this is a good spot to wrap because you've ended on an optimistic note Sometimes we go off on these discussions and we just talk about how everything is so fucked <laughs> that people might be suicidal at the end. But let's break over here and just embrace the fact that, as you say, we're going to be okay. If we can sharpen our senses, we can connect back to the mundane, but the beauty in the mundane. And we can unlock this whole much more vital way of living. Uh, so the senses are there. It's something that we're born with, we carry throughout our lives. We've worked hard to dull those senses, to override those senses. It's time to step back, think independently, do some basic exercises that connect us with the present moment, and enjoy life. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.